Ideas are everywhere. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. I'm your host, David Bellarive. Today, my guest is Scott McGillivray, Chief Strategy Officer at IQmetrics. It's a wide-ranging conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Um, welcome, Scott. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Really looking forward to this. Let's start with, because um, IQmetrics is one of those companies that I feel like we all have heard about, but nobody really knows about. <laughs> so why don't we start with uh, a little background on yourself in IQmetrics? Sure. Uh, so uh, I've been with IQmetrics now for uh, just about 14 years. Uh, the company has been around since 1999, but really commercialized in 2002. So I joined the company in pretty early days when mm-hmm. you know we really didn't have any customers um, in Canada, we had a handful. We were just starting to, you know, build our customer base with uh, you know five, six customers when I when I came in. And what we found really interesting with our with our company is that we we started off focusing or not focusing actually was no focus when we first started as a company was broad retail we wanted to cut across all sectors of retail and then what happened was we got very focused into the wireless retail sector a segment within retail uh, the broader retail market but all within software all software yeah so so we started off as a company that back in the day was an application service provider and everybody else was selling licenses for their software and we were actually doing what's called now the SaaS model software as a service model mm-hmm. back then and and what we really focused on for the retailers is, is being able to enable them to deliver a great customer experience. And that ranged from everything from the point of sale to inventory management, to CRM, human resource management. But it was really about building software that was easy to use and also covered off comprehensively all the things the retailer needed to do to be able to process a transaction. So those are, we built up from there. Uh, Today you can go into any mall in North America and you will find a retailer using our software uh, to over 19,000 locations today. And, And what we've really seen over the years is that evolution of retail and what's taking place within retail today that's forcing us to constantly evolve as a company. And so when you take a look at our software, where we were 15 years ago to to where it is today, mm-hmm. it, it's it's light years ahead of where we were. And it's beyond wireless now, right? Yes. Well, yes, we've, we've actually branched out into other additional areas of retail, uh, but wireless retail is still our is our bread and butter. It's still our, our focus. But yes, we've moved into the broader broader retail. Uh, you can find us in uh, clothing stores. You can find us in shoe stores, that sort of thing. But but wireless retail still is our is our core market. It's an amazing company, an amazing uh, what what you have done and continue to do. Where does that where does that because you talked about this being the the goal to be. Um, deliver a great customer experience for your customers. Yeah. Where does that come from? Like, is that the heart of who IQmetrics is or? That's a, that's a great question. So one of the interesting things about our company was that when uh, Chris, Greg and Kelly first started IQmetrics and in particular, Chris Krivilek, he really wanted to create a company that people wanted to be at to work. And it was, it was more about the experience for our employees, mm-hmm. creating a great environment for our employees, a place where they really could contribute. They could find a way to really focus on what they were good at, what their strengths were, and then, and then add to the broader team through that. By extension, it is to create great experiences for our customers. So it started off with, okay, can we let's build a cool company and a cool company for employees. And if we if we create that, they're gonna be able to deliver great experiences for our customers. And so that was kind of kind of the flow. 
And, and really at the core of who we are as a company uh, is our, and our, our core purpose is create great experiences. And what the cool thing about this is, is how that was actually created. So uh, we, we tend to do an annual trip as a company where if you've been with a company for longer than a year, you, we head off somewhere. Uh, we, it's not guaranteed we do it every year, but uh, we have for quite a number of years. Uh, one year we were down in Mexico as a, as a group and we would have been as a company at that time approximately about 125, 150 people. We're just under 500 today. And, and it was, let's figure out what our core purpose is. What's our real mission as a company? And we broke everybody up into groups and off they went. And, and the whole time I'm thinking, there's no way this is going to work. Like, <laughs> we're going we're to get 25 different ideas. But what was really interesting is that the groups came back and presented time after time after time, they talk about creating great experiences. And what came out of that, it was just self-evident. And at the end, it was like, oh, we all actually agree. Our core purpose here is really create great experiences. And, but then it, by extension is for whom? Who, who are you creating those great experiences? Well, obviously staff, but our customers, our partners. And we strongly believe in our broader community that where we live, uh, whether it's software development community, whether it's uh, the actual places where we reside. And so we have to think beyond a company just being insular and just only focused on customers alone because as important as customers are and you need to do that you got to think about your broader community at the same time um that's really interesting and i've i've heard that from a number of people this idea of really working and hard to figure out what your core purpose is it's it's cool that you guys went on a retreat and, <laughs> yeah. and did that and worked that hard at it why do you think it's been important for iq metrics to know what that is i think well, when I, what I hear from what I hear from my colleagues, when I hear from the people that I work with, most people want to have some form of meaning to their work. They they actually they want to come in, they want to do something that matters, and they want to know that it's been valued. And so, it, the creating great experiences is that connection to the meaning within work. And you know, for the most part, for the most part, people coming in, it's not, it's not like the work they do is a be all and the end all. They, people have jobs they want and they need to work for the, for the very obvious reasons. Yet if you could spend seven, eight, 10 hours a day, sometimes a bit more, sometimes our staff have to push it north out because of others peak. <laughs> yep. But if you know you're doing something that people care about, and that it matters to customers and it matters to your colleagues. And if and what we find by that focus on, is that a great experience? It, it's also, it's the measure to make sure that it connects back to the meaning of the work because at that point, you know it matters. And if it's not gonna create a great experience, why are we doing it? And it makes it easier to make decisions of what things should you cut out and what things should you focus on. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great simple statement that you, you know, it's unforgettable, you can't, uh, you don't even have to write it on the wall and everybody can remember it. Have, yeah. have, has the leadership team been challenged to <laughs> say, uh, wait a minute, I thought we were about creating great experiences. Oh, let's, yeah. yeah. Um, no, never. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, uh, yes. And it's one of the things I appreciate about our staff. I, one of the things that we value is authenticity. And, and we've strived to create an environment where people can, can speak their minds, they can they can approach me and say, you know, I don't agree with the decision that's been made. And and so authenticity with seeking to understand creates a healthy work environment. Now we're not perfect and we're far from it. We've got our we got our problems and our issues and all that sort of thing. 
But yeah, I get challenged on that. I've, I've had staff come up to me and say, that wasn't a great experience or what we're doing right now. doesn't feel good or, mm-hmm. or, or help me understand why we're doing this because it doesn't make any sense to me. And I've had staff challenge me on, on our values at times where, you know, where our values are, are speed and agility, lifestyle, innovation, character, community, environment. And I've had, I've had staff come to me and say, you know, that decision was, was a crappy experience for some of our staff. And I don't think it's really consistent with what we view as a strong character. And it's pretty humbling. Uh, and you, you know, you want to go into defensive mode right away, that natural reaction. But I, I've, after those moments, I think, man, am I lucky that I work with people who feel comfortable enough coming and challenging me on very important decisions that we're making. Yeah, that's and the truth. Yeah, yeah. I have so many ways I want to take this. I don't know which way to go because as a, as a business, the, the growth of IQ metrics I think is interesting to other business people, but also the business you're in is, is super fascinating in that mm. whole customer experience. Yeah. But why don't, um, why don't we explore the business of IQ metrics a bit because sure. your growth has been amazing and you, you're consistently doing so well. Um, what, what are some of the keys, do you think, to the success or how has IQ metrics grown? Mm. Well, that, that's just a super easy question. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when I think back, so when we, in, in 2000 and, uh, 2003, our gross revenues were approximately uh, about $250,000 for the year. And, and today, uh, this year, we will we'll close out north of $200 million. And, and so that's pretty, pretty healthy growth rate. I'm not even sure what the compounded annual growth rate number is with that, but that's, that's, that's some pretty healthy growth. I'll say, yeah. How did we achieve that is a combination of some very smart decisions by key people, uh, attracting the right people who really have made a lot of sacrifices and put in substantial effort, the holding to, um, holding to a philosophy that our software needs to be um, comprehensive but easy to use, a beautiful design, holding to those philosophies. And sometimes we stray, but we always pull back to that. So a good product. And, and then from there, the, when we tell our story, and it's the authenticity that's around that story. And so our customers often talk about one of the biggest things is that they have relationships with our staff. Like there's our staff or their friends. And I, I'm, sometimes I think, ah, that, that can't be right. And then you actually hear the stories when we, sometimes we have, you know, for a number of years, we ran an annual uh, customer event and we're just starting that up again this year. And you watch our customers interact with our staff. And, and so often it's like friends greeting each other as opposed to this just simple business relationship that normally exists. So I, I would credit our great product, great people, some some smart decisions, a number of really lucky bounces. Uh, anybody who says that they achieve massive growth without some lucky bounces along the way is mm-hmm. fooling themselves. We, we've had some very lucky, very lucky bounces. And, and then it, it goes to uh, the ability to connect with our customers. Let's talk about the people and the product a little bit. So okay. the people, you, now you're um, always winning awards for being one of the best employers. And I wonder how, how are you, um, is that through hiring or is there a, a, like a strict sort of process that you're looking at? Who is the right person for IQ metrics? Yeah, we, we actually, we've never really truly formalized this, but we, oh, really? we do have a, an understanding of 
so first off, we, we look for people who think we versus me. So, so it's very important that they think about team because so much of what we do involves collaboration, working in that team environment. We were looking for smart people, obviously, who, who isn't smart. Smart mm-hmm. is better. Uh, but they also have to be uh, humble. And, and what we find is that if we think, hire people who think we versus me, they're smart and they're humble, that they have a tendency to work really well together. And they have, an, and often is the case where uh, you want to be around those people. And, and, you know, for lack of a better term, we have like a no assholes rule. Yeah. Uh, because really what you want to be, when you go to work, you want to, you want, if you don't want to be around the people, it's yeah. pretty tough at that point. So we look for those type of people. And they've really, for the most part, we've been quite fortunate. And now you don't have it defined, but how did you come about it? Like, how did you learn that? Uh, you always like to think that you've thought these things through clearly and you made all the, I can think of where we made mistakes in hiring. And, and when I stood back, because when you make a mistake in hiring, it's, it's gut wrenching because the end result typically doesn't end all that well. I mean, sometimes, you know, when a person and their employment is terminated, uh, there's an appreciation for the honesty and, and people are able to move on and they get out of a spot where they weren't all that happy. But for the most part, it doesn't, and well, and it doesn't, there's nothing that feels good about it. And so you pause to start to think about, well, what went wrong there? Why, why did we hire this person in the first place? And what was appealing about that person? And then what did they bring that was different than what we expected? And it was through that sort of trial and error that we realized, oh, what we really value are, are these smart, humble people who think we versus me. When you do that pause, is that because a lot of people will hire consistently making mistakes over, you know, yeah. maybe it's great talent or maybe it's something, but they're ignoring other other things that didn't work out for them. Was that pause a formal process or did, did you somehow, do you look back after you have a bad experience with staff and go, okay, what was what happened there? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not like we pulled the group of people sat down in a boardroom and said, okay, let's analyze what went wrong. I can, I can think of one person. He is a brilliant coder. And in fact, regarded uh, across North America as one of the strongest coders that you, and he was using coding language that far exceeded what anybody really could truly understand, but it was, it was brilliant. But his, his attitude and his inability to work with others was such that it froze about six or seven other people mm. around him because yeah. they, part of it was they couldn't keep up with, with how brilliant this, this individual is. And yet uh, we had a lot of very good people who weren't able to so progress. And so when I think about, when I think about him and, and what took place, it was through the course of more one-on-one conversations with people when I went to ask him, so what... We hired this brilliant guy, yeah. and so how do we fail here that this brilliant guy couldn't succeed in our company? And it, it slowly revealed itself this pattern with, oh, wait a second. Um, he just couldn't work with anybody. He was freezing everybody else. And so we have this belief, you know, the team is greater than the individual, but the individual really matters. And, mm-hmm. and so don't lose sight of the individual, but always think about the team first. Oh, that's interesting. That's yeah. really interesting. Similarly, when you uh, look back at the product and how it's developed, and you talked about you know design being a really important part of that, uh, how did you identify, or did you ever identify, kind of what what are customers loving about this, and what are we, what are our, I guess, um, 
lines that we're not, you know, this is, this is defining the product or not, you know, yeah. it's outside of that product. So our philosophy is design first. Uh, and that has been since day one of the company. So it's, it's, it's more, it's more about figure out the design and how people are going to use that software and then write the code as opposed to build your feature set and then try to reconfigure everything so that it fits. We, when we build a product, uh, in the early days, it was the, the founders of the company came from retail. And, what they, and when they started IQ Metrics, they came with a lot of frustrations about software and how it didn't fit with what they needed and how much time they were spending training staff to use the software, uh, what, all the gaps that were in the software. And so that history, we were able to come in and, and, and know what to build based on those frustrations. We then migrated into a period of time where we started to get metrics focused in our decision making. Who was using what? What was not being used? Okay. What was, and that started driving the decision making. And then, and then we found ourselves just doing all this fact-based decision making and losing the intuitive art side of, of building software. And we started to migrate for a number of years over to that. Mm -hmm. And then one day we realized, wait a second, we're not paying attention to what our customers are telling us. We, we're just functioning in a bubble. And we've started over the past couple of years, a year or more so, of going back to that. No, let's really figure out, okay, well, how are our customers using the software in that fact-based, metrics-based decision-making? It's a combination that we haven't figured out the, yeah. that proper blend of the art and the science and how it goes together. Yeah. How do you... Um it's interesting that the founders started with uh, that retail background. Do you stay grounded in that now? We we st yes and no. Uh, there's there's no simple answer on this one. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we always had in the early days of the company that contributed to our success is that we had a lot of people working in the company that came from retail, and then we went for a period of time between. I would say 2009 to 2015, where we weren't hiring as many true retail people as we should have been into the company. And in the past couple of years, we got back focused on, oh, we need retail expertise back in the company. So when we look at our brand tone guide, there's three things that we care about. And then there's the three dials that we adjust up and down. Now, our first one is that we're, we're retail experts. Uh, we're passionate about retail. We think, we think retail makes a difference and has an impact on our lives. And the third one is fun. And so we adjust those dials based on how we're, who we're communicating to and what the environment is. Retail expertise has to be within our DNA. Mm -hmm. And we, we slid away from that for a few years and we're moving back into making sure that's ingrained in all that we do. It sounds like you spend a, um, a, probably a healthy amount of time working on the company, like just focusing on what's working, what's not working, whether it's people or product. Yeah. Um, is that intentional? And yeah, it is actually. So one of the things that we've done, and this was, I think, more by, more by, I don't, I don't know if this was just fluke or just by extension of who we are, but we actually put one of my responsibilities involved. No one person owns strategy or or can control strategy. It's a it's a it's a build strategy together. So my responsibility is to to guide that process to synthesize our strategy into something that we can execute on, mm -hmm. and I also have a responsibility for our people and culture. So we put strategy and people into one area. And, and yes, we spend a lot of time thinking about how we do things. Uh, we're in the midst of, of implementing a new operating system for our org structure around self-organizing. And, and it's really going back to our roots. And so, so there's, there's still a hierarchy, albeit a flat 
hierarchy in the company, but it's really trying to find ways so that people have greater clarity around accountabilities, they have greater clarity around um, their decision-making scope, but also that we don't tell people how to do something. We say, I can say what I want, but I don't have the right to go and say, hey, here's how I want you to do it. Mm-hmm. I've got a knowledge worker who knows more about their craft than I do. Just, I just need to tell them, here's what we need as a business. Yeah. And they will give me feedback on whether that makes sense or not. Then off they go and do it. So yes, we spend a lot of time looking at how we function. Because at the end of the day, if you're going to build software, if you're going to write code, everything we've got is built around people. It sounds like the business philosophy is very similar to the, the actual product philosophy from the beginning, that you're sort of pointing in a direction and, and allowing the talent to, to lead you there. Yes. How, yeah. how, has, um, how has IQmetrics grown? Like, um, how do you, what are some of the keys to <laughs> growing a business like that? So in the early days, one of the things that, that we did I, that I, I think made a lot of sense for us is that we, we had this saying within marketing and sales, we, we don't sell to anyone, uh, people buy from us. It's not a unique saying, but it's, mm-hmm. but it's basically they make choices to buy from us as opposed to trying to pressure somebody to, to, that we're, we're selling at them all the time. And, and so in the early days, what we got very clear on is what is our story that we are telling our customer base or the prospective customer base of who we are as a company and what we what the brand promise was. And our brand promise, everything was built around, this too came from staff, is built around growth. And it's about, it's, in the early days, it was the best way to grow your business, not, not necessarily a genius tagline, but it resonated with our customer base. And, and with that, it started to extend out of there, here's the brand promise. And so we grow with our clients and they could see that we had a vested interest in their, in their business, and in turn, they, they had that same vested interest in ours. Now, part of that is, is I see anyway, uh, and I, I'm sure I don't see all that you're doing, but is manifested in your blog, and which is, uh, by the way, a bit of a jewel for people that if, if they haven't discovered it yet, oh, cool. you offer a, a lot of um, just general business and retail advice. Mm-hmm. Is that is that sharing a knowledge or that becoming a knowledge um, leader part of your growth? Yes, yeah, very much so. We and thanks for bringing that up because and I'll pass on to the team that works on the on the blog. They will be super happy to hear that. <laughs> uh, the, I, I personally think they do a good job. It's oh, great. It's, it's great. And, great to hear. And I recommend anybody uh, have a look at it for for many reasons. But yeah, thank you. So, so that thought leadership is something that we put a lot of emphasis on over the years and we don't and when we say thought leadership we mean thought leadership through collaboration here's our ideas let's hear your ideas and that give and take back and forth so we meet regularly obviously with our as all businesses do we meet with our customers but often within the agenda of meeting with a client it's not just about here's where the bugs are in the software it's actually about tell me about your business and what's working and what's not working. At the same time, we have some ideas of things that we've seen across our customer base that are working really well. And, and so we, we bring together that, that thought leadership. Then we also bring forward ideas. Some things work really well, other things struggle. We, we've struggled with, uh, with some of our um, interactive retail solutions where we thought we had a brilliant idea of how uh, interactive screens within the store environment can make a fundamental difference to the shopping experience. Our first iterations were anything but. They were, they were frustrating as opposed to enhancing the customer experience. So thought leadership is core 
uh, element to what we have to provide for our customers. What point do you become a thought leader? Or how do you become a thought leader? Oh, you just self-declare it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so easy. Yeah, we just say you're a thought leader, and everybody believes you. No, it's actually uh, uh, when I go back to our annual customer event uh, that we've run for so many years. It was our customers coming to us, tell us your ideas, and it was that endorsement from customers and and our extensive co- partner base saying to us, looking to us, and asking specifically for ideas. So, so it was it was one day we just realized we're getting asked a lot of questions around how to run a retail business, and it, we, at that point we started to realize, oh, I guess we do have we, a lot of knowledge, and we've built up a lot of knowledge, and so we right. we started thinking, okay, well let's start sharing that knowledge, and that, so the blog is an extension of that, presentations that we do. Uh, we we have case studies written about our company, and and what they and that are in the Western uh, University of Western Ontario Business School, and and so we have a strong belief. Let's share the ideas we have, and through that came this endorsement from customers and partners about thought leadership. Mm-hmm. So so it wasn't so much self declaring, but that would be easier. <laughs> <laughs> is it important, or why is it important? Or you know, one of the things that I believe we need to do individually and that we need to do as companies is put ourselves out there with ideas and by doing that you get greater clarity of what you really believe and don't believe Uh, and I worked as a uh, prof at the university here Uh, I learned more about marketing and strategy when I was teaching than I did as a as a grad student and it's because when you have to get in front of people and speak you start to really think through what you clarifies your own very much, very much. And so, yeah. So you said, put it out there and that suggests that it's something that's hard to do. Yes. Because, because, you know, sometimes, sometimes and numerous times your ideas are wrong and people tell you (laughs) that they're wrong and, and that's humbling at the, and I, but I think that's good. It's good to get that sort of feedback. It, it doesn't feel good in the moment, but as time goes on and you start to think about the feedback you got, you start to realize, oh, okay, if I only change this portion or if right. I change that portion, I'm actually on to something now. Yeah. Um, as I thought, this uh, half hour is flying by way too fast, so I'm not going to get into much of customer <laughs> service. But I wonder if you could uh, just share any thoughts you have on what's, uh, what the retail environment is like right now and, and how, how a, a company can succeed or get an edge. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Retail is going through so much right now. Recent news where Amazon's just acquired Whole Foods. Oh, yeah. uh, I can't imagine what the boardrooms of, of major grocers across uh, Canada, U.S. Are, are dealing with right now. Uh, I'm certain that executive in Walmart every day, are, they're, they're looking at who their major competitor is, but also all these other competitors that are coming up and, and carving off a niche for themselves. Retail is going through a fundamental shift, and it's it's being disrupted right now. And it's being disrupted by the expectations consumers are able to act upon due to technology. I don't think consumer expectations have changed a whole lot over the decades. It's just now that we have the tools as consumers to be able to shop in multiple ways the way we want and find exactly what we want. Retailers today, whether small or large, have to figure a way to 
bring together all the various channels that are at their disposal and create that seamless, seamless experience for the consumer. It doesn't matter if you're a one location retailer to the thousand location retailer, your online experience has to mesh with your offline experience. Last, uh, last month I was in New York and I got to shop in the Amazon store physical Amazon store. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then I looked around the mall that I was in. It was in the Columbus Circle Mall in New York. And I, I'm looking around the mall and I was like, they're doing a lot of the same things that all the other retailers are right now. Amazon is coming into the physical environment and retailers today, you have only the physical environment. Well, all the retailers have a website, but they don't necessarily have a seamless experience and they have to mesh those together because I, as a consumer, want to be able to buy from you online and return it physically. I want to order it when I'm at work and then pick it up on my way home. I want to be able to go into the store, look at it. Then I want to be able to ship it back to you. It has to be seamless mm -hmm. and yeah. it doesn't matter if you're small or big retailers today, if they're going to survive and thrive out of this disruption that's taking place, they, they need to address that. Is it possible for a small business? It is. It abs absolutely it is. Yeah. And if you take a look at the technology tools that are available to to retailers, you can you can get your um, you can get a website Shopify so quickly up and running, relatively inexpensive. You you have other companies providing POS services like a Lightspeed. I'm only picking Canadian companies yes. right now. Uh, they're doing a great job for for a certain segment of of the retail market. And and yes. It is possible to create that that seamless experience, but come to IQ Metrics first and, and ignore those other guys. <laughs> excellent, excellent, great spot to to end on. Although um, I, I feel like I could talk to you for hours, so I always end with uh, sort of what are your lessons learned? And uh, I know it's difficult, but um, oh, at, at uh, IQ Metrics and maybe on a growth um, on a growth topic, what's yeah. what are some of the lessons you've learned for growing a business? Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I seem to have to relearn regularly is knowing when to stop doing something. If you're going to grow, you need to know what to cut oh, okay. and where you're going to put your time and energy in. And I have a tendency, and the company as well, has, we have a tendency to try to do so much and, and we, because we can see all these opportunities right. and we don't say no quick enough to some opportunities and we don't do well at giving up on something. Especially if it's your own. Yes, very much. <laughs> so what I've learned is know when to cut it and, and pay attention, know when to cut so that you can focus and that's where growth starts to take off. I imagine having that um, North Star or whatever you would call your create great experiences yeah. help is helpful in, in knowing when something's not working. It's, it's, it's the measure that we use and more often than not, it's, it's somebody within the company bringing forward to myself or one of my colleagues on the executive team or th throughout the organization saying, this isn't really creating a great experience for customers, partners. And then you hear that, you start to hear that enough and then you know, okay, that's gotta be cut. So, yeah. Scott, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having me. And that's the show for this week. In all my excitement, I forgot to ask Scott how to reach out to him, but I'm pretty sure everything's there on iqmetrics.com. Music for lessons learned in marketing is from Six Degrees in Calgary. And remember to not miss an episode. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. 
Talk to you next week.